This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, Episode 4. This is Writing Excuses! Today we're talking about character arcs for secondary characters. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. And I'm not a POV character, but I'm still important. That's right. <laughs> um, we're specifically talking about... No, we're... really. <laughs> Sorry. I'm the, hero of my, I'm the hero of my own story. I'm sure you are, dear. Hero of the most boring story. Here, hold this spear. Uh, um, we're talking, if you can't tell, about when we say secondary characters in this context, we're saying they're never going to get a viewpoint, but you still want to do a character arc for them. Um, let's talk a little bit about character arcs, what we mean by that. We did, we've done this before, but um, how are we going to approach this character arc for somebody who's not important enough to get a viewpoint? Should they have a character arc? If they not don't all have, of them. Well, yeah. Not all of them. Okay. But, but sometimes you do want that. Mm -hmm. If they don't have a character arc, then they very quickly become two-dimensional. Uh -huh. And if all you need is a face in the crowd, two-dimensional is fine because we never focus on them. But if they are walking along next to your main character, people will quickly notice if there's no depth. Um, the, so, yeah, a few of your side characters... Depending on how big the work is. Well, depending on, in many ways, depending on how important they are to your main character. Yeah. And um, because it's a lot of it has to do with what your main character is noticing. So, you know, let's let's pause for a second and talk about what character arc is. Since okay. it's been a while yeah. since we've talked yeah. about it. Yeah. So character arc, um, using, using the mice quotient, uh, character arc is basically um, looking at where your character is at the beginning of the story and having them wind up in a, and this is in their emotional state, and having them wind up in a different emotional state by the end of the story. Sometimes that emotional state can be represented as um, the character is dissatisfied with their role in life, and by the end of the story they are either have learned to become satisfied, so, or they have learned to become reconciled to being dissatisfied. Ding I dong. must have gotten that right. Yes! <laughs> Congratulations! Thank you! You've won a watermelon. Ooh. What What's is the watermelon one? for? Because she won. No, Buckaroo Bonsai. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> and I want to, I want to kind of spin this um, and say. Actually, he's a fine example of a goat. Go on. <laughs> um, this this is a useful topic because sometimes under this definition, your side characters may be more main characterish. They just don't get a viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're writing an intense first person viewpoint um, story. And it's going to have a romantic interest the main character is going to. That romantic interest is never going to get a viewpoint. That character definitely needs a character arc. Yep. Um, you know, Mr. Darcy has a character arc. Yes, he and does. And yet Mr. Darcy really doesn't have any viewpoints. Mm -hmm. um, and, Actually, that's not true. Oh, it, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Th those old books, I can never remember how omniscient they are. <laughs> and how, totally omniscient. Just omniscient. Okay. Let me use my, my own. If, okay. If we look at Glamour and Glass, mm -hmm. I stay in tight third person all the way through. Right. Mr. Vincent definitely has a character arc uh -huh. through that because he is learning how to be married and how to share the the process. He's he's used to being a solo artist mm -hmm. and he's having to learn how to be part of a team. Right. And and he's a Regency gentleman and sharing with your wife is not something that comes easily. <laughs> so, um, yes. So I so that's something where I had to try to come up with ways to show his emotional state 
in a way that Jane could understand it. And mm -hmm. also, one of the tricks that I used was the misunderstandings, where they, where right. your main character does not understand, mm -hmm. and and the tension between those two things. Right, Dan. One of the great things that you can do by giving character arcs to side characters is illustrate something important about your main character. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the example I want to use is what something I did in partials. There's a it's kind of about rebellion. There's a very oppressive government, and the main character keeps trying to win people over to her her side, so uh -huh. to speak. There's a side character that does not is not convinced by her until the end, and he has a very strong arc of, you know, party line. I do what I'm told. I'm a soldier, and then by the end of it, he finally says, "You know what? You're right. I'm not going to stand for this anymore and join you." Uh -huh. What that does is it gives him an interesting arc, but it also illustrates her leadership as right. the, the main character's personality that she's managed to you know bring him over and teach him something important yeah excellent um and how how shall i say this is this is really important because this is what's going to give your book a real sense of depth mm -hmm. um this is one of the things that early on in my career before i got published i was doing very poorly i've talked about this before um one thing i learned for myself is I don't understand someone until I write through their eyes. Hmm. And it's actually very common for me to write a scene from a character that I'm not planning to put in the, the scene in the book so that I can see through their eyes. Dan, you've done this before for main characters and things. It might be a way to wrap your head around them. You don't, it, it's very hard for writers to write something that, doesn't, that they're not going to put in the book. Um, I found with mm -hmm. a lot of writers, like, why not put it in? Well, sometimes it's just not going to belong in the narrative. And yet, if you have this written, you know what's going on with them. There is a famous side character in my books named Hoyd who connects all of my novels. I know what Hoyd's doing. I've written viewpoints from Hoyd. I've written entire chapters from Hoyd's viewpoint. They would distract from the book. The main reason that they would is that people would become more interested in what he's doing than what's happening in the novels. I don't want that to happen. I, by doing that, I'm able to know this character so well that I can have him making appearances and scenes and acting like himself and pursuing his motives without him stealing the scene mm -hmm. from what's going on at that moment. And then later on, if I t when I tell stories about him, you'll be able to go back and say, oh, okay, this is what he's doing in this scene. It informs his story. It's, it's a method that, um, not, to not let the side character steal the show, which is sometimes really important. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you talked about there when you were talking about how he has his own needs and motivations mm -hmm. and all of that, it gets back to what Howard opened with, which is that every character is the hero of their own story. Yeah. And that by giving your character needs and motivations, the, the side character, that have nothing to do with what the main character wants, mm -hmm. you can also have them acting in ways that are contrary to the main character's expectations and, and wants which, again, gives you a way for the main character, gives you a conflict for the main character to react against. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, one of the challenges that I face is that um, I don't have tight third-person viewpoint. Right. It is difficult for people to tell when a character is not uh, a, for lack of a better term, POV character. Right. Uh, because I will often, if something interesting is happening, the camera just follows that person into the next room and we get to see what's happening. Right. Um, what's critical to remember is that I can't do that without knowing that character's voice, without knowing what they want, without mm -hmm. knowing uh, how they're going to react, what they feel about things. Um, I have had... Uh, recently, I did some. Uh, I introduced some characters that I knew were going to die because 
people had paid for me to put their likenesses in the book and then kill them. Right. And it is no fun for me to have somebody show up and then just die, you know, yes. and have a name because somebody paid for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I introduced a couple of scientists who had some dialogue, some back and forth dialogue. And the moment the dialogue started, I realized that one of them was very, very fascinated with what was going on, and the other one was really interested in getting published. Right. And it was a, it was a simple, it was kind of a two-dimensional dynamic, mm -hmm. but it only needed, I, I, I only need these guys around long enough to <laughs> say a few key lines, make a few plot points, and then die. They're allowed to be two-dimensional, but even so, there is a little bit of this arc going on as they're discovering things that are publishable, and it changes their attitude towards each other, and they work together a little better at the end of that series of strips than they did at the beginning. And then they both die. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yes, Dan, <laughs> um, you have our book of the week. Yes. One of my very favorite authors of all time is Philip K. Dick, and we've talked about several of his books. Uh, but the one we want to talk about today is The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch, which is uh, kind of, it, it's one of his standalone novels, but it leads into eventually kind of what became his almost kind of more uh, religious books that he would write eventually. Uh, but uh, it's the kind of book that has, you know, so many huge ideas that a lesser author would base the entire book around a single one of them, and he just throws them out like they're candy on the side of the road. And... Uh, Road candy Road is candy. my favorite. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, it, it's a really great book. It's got, uh, you know, a, a guy returning from contact with an alien species and brings with him what I will describe as a contag biologically contagious philosophy. And it uh -huh. is fascinating to read about. Excellent book. Um, if, you, if you love Philip K. Dick, if you like science fiction, read this one. The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch. Correct. At audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start yourself a 30-day free trial membership. Pick up the Philip K. Dick book for free. And then another Philip K. Dick book for 30% off. Now, speaking of character arcs, there's one thing that I, I want to talk about here is that we naturally assume a character arc is going to be someone getting better. Um, but there is another type of the character yes. arc, and you actually see this one much more often for side characters, mm -hmm. which is the slow descent into madness or evilhood or uh, slowly, you know, the best friend ends up betraying them or things like this. Um, and this, the, this is very common. Maybe even, you know, I wouldn't say overused, but it, it happens a lot in kind of things like video games. You can yeah. watch, the, play the video game and be like, all right, there's the one that's going to betray him. Um, <laughs> just right out the window because of how stereotypical sometimes these things are. You can do it very well also. Yeah. The, uh, we talked in an earlier episode this season about raising the stakes, and mm -hmm. a great way to raise the stakes is to have that moment in a character, a side character's arc, where the reader realizes, oh, I thought this person was going to get better, but it appears that they are going to get worse, and I'm very sad because this character is now becoming somebody that right. the, the hero will no longer like. Um, and, and who may betray us. Yeah, yeah uh, a, a fantastic example. This is Gollum from The Lord yes. of the Rings. Um, mm -hmm. And the, his arc is delightful because it actually arcs upward and then plummets, plummets. downward. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that arc, you know, it's not too much talking on us. If someone went back and forth too many times, we would just lose compassion. But us hoping, 
You know, my, I've said before, my mother watched those movies and she only cared about two things. Will Aragorn get together with the nice elf woman? <laughs> and then as soon as Smeagol came along, my mother fell in love with him. She'd never really read any fantasy before, but she's like, little Smeagol's going to be a good guy, right? I can tell. Look, he's becoming a good guy. Little Smeagol. <laughs> oh. She was so into oh. Smeagol. I remember watching the movies, and uh, I think it was that it was the second film mm -hmm. where uh, uh, we get we get some Smeagol POV. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, what's this? They've written him growing almost genuinely nice, and I never sensed that from the book. There are people who haven't read the book who are going to think that Gollum doesn't betray them in the end. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, Which what a neat awesome. thing Peter Jackson has done. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah. Uh, a, a property that does this really well, uh, both in the comics and in the movies, is the X-Men. Because mm -hmm. what you have is two competing philosophies. Right. You know, mm. here's this big problem, and Professor X wants to solve it one way, Magneto wants to solve it another way, and in X-Men 2, for example, you get to watch Pyro... You know, this teenager right. who's very hot-headed and he's torn. He knows he should be good, but he keeps seeing all this evidence that, you know, Magneto's way might be a lot more effective. And by the end of the movie, he betrays everybody and goes over there. And it's a great way of drawing out the differences between the two schools of thought. Yeah. yeah. It was also neat in looking at Pyro, the, uh, uh, the temptation that Pyro was offered by Magneto was... Uh, I will let you use your abilities to a fuller extent than Professor X will, mm -hmm. uh, because we keep seeing Pyro treated like a kid. No, mm -hmm. you can't go. You can't yeah. go be on a mission with the grown-ups. You can't. You know, no, that's dangerous. Don't do that. And Magneto's like, yeah, let's set stuff on fire. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what are some of the ways that we can demonstrate that character's needs and wants without with giving the, them a viewpoint? Exactly. Um, the one that Dan, since we're on this X-Men thing. The one that Dan often points out to me is a, a great element from that film is there's a point where Pyro looks at the family of the other, like the Iceman guy. They're visiting the family home and he sees this happy family and you see him just baffled and concerned looking at it and you know he came from a broken home. Um, the moments where, in these side characters, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to be subtle. You're going to have to use these moments um, where they're on stage very powerfully to show what's happening with them because you can't have them sit and pon pontificate. I came from a broken home and so therefore I envy my mm -hmm. friend here and I have to you know, react against that and become more powerful. You have to do it with a moment of him looking at and say, wow, your family's actually happy or something like that. Yeah, and I think that then the question is how your POV character reacts to that moment. Mm -hmm. Whether your POV character notices it for what it is or whether right. your POV character misunderstands it and you try to let the audience have a different yeah. understanding. The, in, and I think in you can play it with, both ways. In prose with uh, uh, Wolverine, you know, Wolverine looked over at, uh, at Pyro and uh, you know, caught the look of disgust on his face uh, and you know, mumbled to himself, you know, I don't care what you think of the wallpaper, kid. Keep it off your face. You know, poker face. <laughs> Wolverine has no idea what's going through Pyro's head, but he has now shown us that Pyro is looking on this family disgustedly. Well, and, and while we're talking about Pyro, because he's such a great example of this, um, he's contrasted with Iceman. Mm -hmm. And so, first of all, you don't need a POV from Pyro because you have Professor X saying you know, on screen, Pyro, knock it off. Stop using your power. We don't mm. need Pyro's point of view in order to get that particular message across. But then, arguably, the POV character we do have is Iceman, 
who is dealing with the same problem and makes the opposite decision. And right. so that helps the illustrate then yes. what yeah. Pyro's decisions are. The contrast, yeah. Um, I would say, again, reinforce the concept of subtlety mm -hmm. with your side characters because you don't want them stealing the show, but you want to lay the groundwork there. Um, you're going to have to be even better with show, don't tell versus with them. But these things can be powerful. These things can be awesome, and they add the depth to your writing that's going to take you from that talented amateur to, um, to obvious professional by how you treat all the little people around the main characters. <laughs> They're all laughing at me about the little people. We're laughing and looking at me. I really am the hero of my own story. And you held that spear very well. That, that's your writing prompt for today. <laughs> Write a story in Message which for you, sire. Howard is the hero of the most boring story. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't have to be Howard. The hero of the most boring story ever and make it interesting. This has been Ryan Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.